in a battle, and I'm going to tell you what, you can't give me enough dollars to fight off the devil. It just don't work. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can take a minute out of your day as the Holy Spirit leads you. And maybe you come, I come on your heart or somebody else comes on your heart and we lift them up to the Lord in prayer because we have no idea what people are facing. But you know what? Prayer makes a difference. Do we believe that today? It makes a difference. And so we're going to call upon God to move. Somebody, if you do me a favor and cut them fans on over there, because y'all, I'll be burying me before we're done. It's warm. Please. One over there and one over there. I forgot to do it this morning. I thank God this week that he we able, you seen the lift back there. I started to preach from it, but decided not to. But uh, we got a bunch of lights working. We fixed as many as we could get ballast for. Uh, you, if you didn't notice, there wasn't a screen a whole lot brighter. We thank God for what he provides. So when we do movie nights or we're putting these stuff up on the screen, now we can actually see it and not feel like we've got cataracts. So thank God for his provision and what he gives us. Oh, hallelujah. I asked y'all a question last Sunday night for those of y'all that weren't able to be here. And by the way, we got some folks on the road this morning. Uh, Dave and Ramona. Uh, Steve and Sharon, y'all notice the bulletins are on the back table. I don't know if you got in or not, if we had somebody giving them out. I don't know, but they're back there. Uh, we're going to put that there so you can get whatever we got going on in the church going on. But pray for them. They're on the road this week or this today. Pray for them for safe travels and others, many others. But I asked you a question last week. You remember I told you that in the book of Revelation there are Three, I need to move this platform out about 10 feet. Um, it's okay. But I asked you last week, if there is nothing to overcome, then why are we commanded to be overcomers? How can we be victorious if there are no battles to fight? I'm going to ask you that question again tonight. I'm going to ask you that question again in a couple weeks. Next week, we're going to have something for Mother's Day. We'll skip the really probably the last thing in this series coming up and do it the following week. I'm going to tell you, today's message is something that every one of us need, and I sure wish I'd have known it a long time ago. And I'm going to actually read a fellow's testimony to you this morning, so I need to get started and get it going, but... How is it that we be an overcomer if there's nothing to overcome? What a question to ask. And we're talking about destroying the stuff that weakens us as a church. It destroys us. It weakens us from understanding the word. It weakens us from having the faith to move as God tells us to pray. You know, what good is prayer without faith? It's no good. Things that weaken us is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how we're going to get rid of them and be overcomers or destroy that. You see, the building isn't the church. The church is the believers that are in the building. If this building were flattened for an earthquake or a tornado or whatever reason we would lose this building, if we chose to meet over at Eddie's house under an oak tree, that's the church. That's us. That's the body of believers. Wherever we go, we are ambassadors and representatives of Jesus Christ. Wherever we go. And we need to be letting people know that. Part of this is when we're not acting the way we should be and acting like the world, it takes away from Christ. Why do I want to be like you if you're just like that? It's not about being like me, but you understand that's the way the world thinks. That's the way the world sees things. So... If there's no difference in a believer's life than somebody who is not a believer, then it takes away from the power of God in people's eyes. They won't seek him. They won't go after him. And in fact, many times we won't even act like that we know him or that we, you know, we like to sometimes hide it, don't we? Let's be honest with ourselves, folks. I told you at the beginning of this series back in January Unless we are honest with ourselves and unless we look at this at looking in the mirror, not pointing fingers at one another, but looking at ourselves, we get to see a lot. This is not to tear us down. This is to make us to where we're walking in freedom. 
Amen? Are you, are you okay with the status quo? If you are, raise your hands. I want to know because I want to pray for you. If you didn't understand, I'm going to say it again. If you're okay with the status quo as things are right now, you don't want to grow anymore. I, I didn't figure you understood me. I saw a lot of hands come up, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, we got a lot of praying to do. We're staying all day. If you like your life where it is right now, Sin might be uh, trying to creep in on you. Maybe something you're practicing already. You just can't get rid of it. You can't get shun of it. If you're okay with that, and you don't want to be set free, you don't want to walk in freedom, raise your hand. That's better. <laughs> Whew. I'm like, man, we must have moved on the street corners of San Francisco to preach now. <laughs> Glory to God. But we are the church. And there are three scenarios or three things that plague us as believers when it comes to sin. I'm going to read a couple of them to you. See, there are those who choose to overlook sin because their hearts are hardened. The Spirit talks to you for a little bit, and every day the more you sin, the more you keep doing that, the less you hear from Him, and the hearts get hardened. And these folks are immune to the reality of breaking God's heart. They don't understand who the relationship just isn't there. Uh, they have a compromised conscience. Jeremiah 8 and 12 says, Who were they ashamed, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall in the time of their punishment. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. That's one group of people. That might be some of you today. It might not be. Another group of people are those that buy into the lie that we are all sinners by nature and the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to free us from the penalty of sin, but it is not powerful enough to free us from the bondage of sin. You understand what I'm talking about? There are those that have that look and that view. And they firmly hold to the truth that Jesus Christ is real. They firmly hold to that he is the one that makes us holy, but they believe the lie that it's not necessary to live a sanctified life. It, I don't, I don't figure it out. I don't take it, assume that you know anything or have anything. I don't, don't take that the wrong way. I didn't start it off making it wrong. Do you know what sanctified means? In case you don't, a sanctified life is one that we're walking with Christ. Jesus shows me something in my life that doesn't add up with the word and now it's up to me to be seeking, to, okay, Lord, I need to be changing from this. And you know what? In the flesh, you can't do it by yourself. You've got to have him. You've got to have the word. And a sanctified life would be living a holy life. Don't sit there and say, well, that's not possible. Because if that's the case, our Lord has commanded us to do something that is impossible and he will not do that. And we can't do it in and of ourselves. It's not by our works. We're going to get into this a little bit deeper. But they don't believe you live a sanctified life. I got saved, good to go, heading to heaven. And the whole time we have the whole rest of the New Testament talking to believers and saying, all right, guys, we got some things we got to tweak. We got some things we got to tweak. We got some things that's got to be fixed in our lives. And being sanctified and living that sanctified life is going to happen daily. As we grow, there's some things God can't deal with you on now because spiritually you just don't have the foundation. Now, if you die today, uh, he's the judge. I'm not. But he knows what he's doing. And he won't expose or reveal something in our lives until we are foundationally, spiritually, foundationally ready to face it. That's why many places, many Pentecostal places, get very legalistic and, you know, you know, yeah, I told y'all it's like the people back in the 50s, you know, they preach on Sunday morning that you can't watch TV at home, but they all had TVs in the basement where it was dark. You either believe it or you don't. You understand what I'm talking about. So it's easy to, to take and, and hide things, but the saddest part is, is the one that you're lying to is you. That's the only one you're lying to. See, I don't have the power to save you. People go diving behind the bushes, they hear my truck coming. All the preachers here, like I'm God. I'm not God. 
He's there 24-7, 365, whether you want him there or not, and he's knowing every thought that's going on in our, our heads. You understand? And so, and he loves us enough, by the way. He loved me enough. After all those times I turned him away, he loved me enough to keep knocking on my heart's door. He was answering a prayer. He loved you enough that he kept knocking on your heart's door. When you invited him in, he did something with that. Romans 6 and 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's a question. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We shouldn't be living any longer in it. That's what the scripture talks about. And these, these two scenarios that I have talked about, they deal with practiced, known sin, and that's what weakens us as believers. We don't have the courage to tell people about Jesus. We don't have the courage to say, I'm not walking there with you. You have the dirty jokes at the water cooler. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not judging you. I want to pray for you. I still want to have a, a, a life, a relationship with you, but I'm going to tell you now, I'm walking with Jesus, and I'm going to tell you, when you do that, people will not put you in that position. How many times has somebody come in and done something and then they say, oh, I'm sorry, preacher. Oh, I'm sorry, you're a believer. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see your kids sitting there. They know what's right and wrong. And when you let them know, I'm not going to walk there. I'm not holier than you. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal, but I love my Jesus and I'm going to walk with him and I don't want to do anything that's going to give him a black eye, so to speak. And so that's who those people are. And these folks are given to sin. They are the ones who will hear Jesus say, Depart from me. I never knew you. I believe the Bible is very clear on that. We've already covered that, so I'm not going to rehash that out. But the next group of people is the ones we want to deal with. Those who struggle to break free from sin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm not talking about just the stuff we see outside and gets put in the newspaper if you break the law. I'm talking about the stuff that the Lord sees. I'm talking about the stuff that he is showing to us. You know, if you can't stay away from the ABC store, there's an issue. You need some deliverance. If you can't stay off the phone trash-mouthing somebody, you might as well go to the ABC store because both of you are riding in the same boat. And we need to be set free. And like I said, the only person you're lying to is the one you're looking at in the mirror when you say, well, that ain't me, or oh, I like this one. Well, I've already talked to them about it so they know what I'm saying. You need to talk to them and let's invite them in. Now, they may not want to come in, and that's okay. That doesn't mean that we can't be praying. That doesn't mean that we can't be praying for people. That's what we are looking at today of being overcomers, right? We need to be overcomers. You see, these people, they want out of the tight grip that sin has on them. But they haven't yet discovered the God's grace that empowers them to be that overcomer. They haven't yet figured that out. They truly repent every time. They, they, they know that it, they, it, it's wrong. They know that it's fa they're facing things. And yet they will fall again. I showed a thing with the young men in our men's group for a while. We was talking about the you know, the addiction, lust, addictions of lust and, and pornography and such things like that. And, and you go through this cycle of purging and binging. You got to have it. Ah, oh, man. And you go through the binging cycle. And then you go through the purging cycle. God, forgive me. I, I, I'm not going to do this again. And yet, once again, it just keeps happening over and over and over. And you can put that on anything that you want, any sin you want to. Anything that we're dealing with, we can go through that binging and purging cycle. Well, I'm not going to do that no more. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You might mean well, but you can't do it on your own because there's something in every one of us that the flesh is so strong at that we need to understand that God is the one that helps us to, to get through it. You, you see what I'm talking about? I hope I can make it a little bit clearer as we go. I'm going to read a guy's testimony here in a minute, and, it, and it, maybe it'll make sense. But every time a person falls, they, 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 they're in bondage, and, and they, the condemnation of that, it just keeps them bound up. They can't seem to get free. That's the people we're talking about. They want to do right, but flesh just has such a powerful strength on them, a hold. And that's what I'm talking about. 
you come, you ask Jesus to come into your heart, and the next step is the sanctification. Now he's going to be setting you free. You've been set free when you asked him to come in, but now the place comes in is when you start living free. You understand? Does that make sense? Am I explaining that good enough, everybody? Because you got to get it. It doesn't do any good to go any further if it don't. That's the next step that has to happen with us. And it will be a continual thing until the day we die. Amen? It will be a continual thing. Luke 7 and 3 says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, look what Jesus says. You shall forgive him. You see, Jesus tells us to forgive someone who genuinely repents multiple times per day because we are to forgive as our Heavenly Father forgives us. We can't hold the grudges. We can't hold on to the things. We have to be like Him. We have to be able to have that to come inside of us. Ephesians 4 and 32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This whole thing is about forgiveness. We need Jesus. See, we don't, we don't come to the Lord so that we can go to heaven. He didn't go to the cross so that we had a free ticket to heaven. He went to the cross for that, but he also said that we can live free from the bondage of sin. He overcame it. See, the devil, he don't have all that power on us, but our flesh sometimes gets in the way. Some things I know when I got saved, man, it was just like, okay. And some things it was like, huh. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness? Yes. But what do I do? Do I just give up and say, okay, I guess that's just it? No. You've got to press on. You've got to let the Lord do the work that he's going to do to us. You see, if we approach God brokenhearted and in true repentance, we're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. It cleanses us as if we've never sinned. So don't punish yourself because it takes away from the greatness of the blood of God, the blood of Jesus. When we punish ourselves, it, it takes away from His righteousness and it puts righteousness back on our own works of what we do. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And then we try to work it out on our own and then we keep stumbling and we keep falling and we keep falling and we keep falling and we keep falling. And that's the bondage of sin. That's what sin does to us. But he gives us a great gift. I'm going to read a man's testimony to you right now. Give me just a few minutes if you don't mind. Now this is dealing with a particular subject this guy had a problem with. I want you to listen to this and I want you to apply it to maybe whatever the Holy Spirit's talking to you about this morning. Something to deal with. Something that needs to be dealt with in our lives. When I was 12 years old, some friends introduced me to pornographic magazines. We would share them with each other, and needless to say, it wasn't long before I became addicted. That word addicted. Friend, I'm going to tell you right now, you can be addicted. You can be addicted to porn. You can be addicted to prescription medications. Yeah, but the doctor prescribed it. It must be okay. Not if you're addicted, it ain't. Not if you're addicted, it's not. An addiction is an addiction. See, to say that is to say, well, the doctor prescribed it for me, therefore, okay, it must be all right. That would be the same thing that since our country has said it's okay for Bob and Steve. Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. I can't use two guys. I'm just saying two guys can get married. That doesn't mean we go out and say, okay, now I can get married to another man or a woman to another woman. That's the same principle, isn't it? Do you understand what I just showed you? So just because the doctors prescribe something to you doesn't mean you can't be addicted to it. That wasn't the aim in the beginning, but it does happen. I know people. People's been locked up over it. Because they just can't get enough of how it feels. And it takes away the pain, whatever it might be. So, like I said, take this story and apply it to any part of that might fit in your life. It started out with mild or porn, but quickly advanced to the hardcore material. This led to sexual fantasies that were uncontrollable in my mind. I would sit in my high school classes, stare at girls, and envision us having sexual encounters. I was consumed with sexual lust. 
At the age of 19, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Many sins immediately lost their power over my life. Drunkenness, cussing, inappropriate behavior with girls, crudeness, and many other ungodly behaviors just seemed to fade away. However, pornography and lust didn't lose their hold. I was still bound and not able to walk away. Every time I succumbed to this sin, I quickly repented and sincerely asked God for forgiveness. And prior to being saved, I didn't have a second thought of my driving sexual lust, but just yielded any time the desire arose. After being saved, I was now in a vicious battle. I didn't want to look at porn because I knew it was contrary to, the, to godly behavior, but it seemed to be more powerful than my strength to resist. In 1982, at the age of 27, I married my wife. I thought the lust would fade away because my, now I was married to the girl of my dreams, but it didn't and actually grew worse. If there was pornography anywhere in my vicinity, I would gravitate toward it, almost like steel shavings are attracted to a magnet. It affected our relationship, both in bed and in other areas of intimacy. In 1983, I entered the ministry. Let me stop right there. I don't know if you remember, but I told you a few months ago or last fall, whenever we went to the thing, that the Church of God of Prophecy actually did, and I really love this because that gives us things to focus on. There are so many people that think they are alone in this. 14% of North America's Church of God of Prophecy pastors, and it's higher across the board in ministry. You pick your denomination, it's there. Some of them just won't ask this question. I was glad ours did. Was it 14 or 16%? It was one of the two. It was one of the two. Of our pastors are addicted to pornography. No, God help them. Because the devil has figured out, and and you can use pornography, you can use anything you want. These guys are fighting a battle. My question is, who is helping them? I don't know how many pastors have fallen because of this or some other thing. I wonder what we have in store to what we have in place to restore them. They're not they're not trash. They're not to be kicked out. They are to be restored. If our church doesn't see that, then I've got to go and talk to somebody and do something different because it doesn't matter if they're a pastor or who it is. One of you, whatever the sin may be, whatever it may be, the thing is it needs to be exposed, it needs to be overcame, and they need to be restored. Because, see, God knows the beginning from the end. Am I right? So when he called that man into ministry, he knew that sometime or another, maybe he was dealing with it. This guy was dealing with it when he came into ministry. But he knew it had to be exposed and he had to be set free. See, to look at it any other way, we're working for the devil when we look that way. We call it godly, we'll dress up in suits, we can quote the scriptures backwards and forth in four different languages. But if we ain't looking at that man or that woman, and they need to be delivered, and they need to be restored. If we're looking at it any other way, we are not on board with God's plan. Do you understand what I just said? We're not the performance police. We're the prayer warriors. We're the ones that will lead them to a place to be able to be set free. At the age, in 1982, at the age of 23... Let's see, I married my life. But okay, in 1983, I entered the ministry and still battled with porn. My conviction that it was wrong was growing stronger. My position of serving in the church was to take care of our pastor, his family, and any of our guest ministers. Our church was one of the most recognized churches in America, and we hosted many notable visitors, visiting pastors and speakers. One of them was well known for his deliverance ministry. He had been in Asia for several years and the documented stories of how people got free from vices or demons were phenomenal, sometimes even mind-blowing. God used him in a most profound way. In, 19, in the fall of 1984, he came to our church to do a four-day seminar, and I was once again his host. I'd gotten to know him quite well from our previous visits. This time, when I was transporting him in the vehicle, and we were alone, it seemed like the opportune time for me to open up and to share my struggle with sexual lust. I humbled myself and was brutally, brutally honest because I wanted out. He spoke sternly as a true father in the faith would. He listened carefully to every word and then desperately 
I asked him, please pray for my freedom. Now, you know what? The reason a lot of the people are in the places that they are, they feel like they have nobody to talk to. Another thing was 55% of our ministers in the Church of God of Prophecy feel like they are working alone. You've put them on a pedestal. They feel like they can't come to you and say, hey, I'm struggling with something. I need you to pray. And therefore, the bondage of sin sets in. Pride sets in, but also fear sets in. The very ones who have the power to set us free. We just prayed for a man this morning believing that God can touch him. What is the difference if I came to you and said, I'm dealing with something, and I need you to pray for me? What would be the difference? This man went to somebody and shared. Shared. It took him a while to get there, too, though, by the way. He prayed a very strong prayer, but to my disappointment in the weeks and months that followed, I experienced no change. I continued to fight lust afterward. Approximately nine months later, I was offered the use of a condominium to get away to fast and pray. And on the fourth day of the fast, I'll never forget that date. It was May the 6th, 1985. I was completely delivered from that spirit of lust while deep in prayer. The Holy Spirit led me to fervently command lust to leave my life. I did, and the authority that came on me was beyond anything I'd ever experienced. I'm still free today, thank God. But you notice it didn't happen when the man laid hands on him and prayed. So why later? After walking in freedom for a couple of years, a nagging question arose, which I took to the Lord in prayer. Father, I asked, I don't understand. I humbled myself before this great man of God. And since many have been delivered through his ministry, why wasn't I set free? That day he prayed for me. Why was it nine months before I became free? And the Lord started showing me in my life at the time period. During the fall of 1984 when he came to speak, I was praying every morning, at least, th- at least 90 minutes every day. I'd been doing this for a couple of years. I would get up at 5 a.m. and I was outside by myself by 5.30 and prayed until 7. And the most passionate prayers at the time were, God, use me, lead me to... Use me to lead people to Jesus. Use me to heal the sick. Use me to set people free. Father, use me to impact nations for Jesus. I would pray this over and over, day after day, asking God to launch me in ministry and open doors that no one could shut. I prayed with great passion. And one day, that same fall, I was in my normal routine of morning prayer and crying out, as I had for many months, even years. And all of a sudden, in a passionate moment of petitioning, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Son, you can win multitudes to Jesus, get many free and heal sick people, and end up in hell forever. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not the guy that sets you free. Brother Murphy, for 44 years, was not the man that set you free. It was Jesus Christ. We are just tools. You are just tools. The power of freedom comes through Christ. And yes, He can use us. We can't look and say, oh, we've got 15 people a week coming into the church and we can fill out reports and say we had 5,000 got saved this year. Well, that's a good thing, but don't get me wrong. Many times we look at that and that's what we call success. And yet... Somebody might be walking and living in sin and people will look. And that is the very reason that when a man of God who gets a following and gets something going and it's going good and he falls or maybe he dies, maybe he retires and quits and then the church falls apart. Whose fault is it? Well, it's the new guys. No, the problem is, is Jesus Christ never was on the platform. He was never the one that was exalted. It was the man. And the man can do nothing for you. Only Jesus can. If I die today, if I quit today, or when Brother Murphy retired, if the Holy Ghost is the one leading us, if Jesus Christ is at the center of it, then the church will never miss a beat. Because it ain't about us. You can honor us if if something good happens or not. I don't care. I'm not looking for your honor. I'm looking to please Him. I want Him to be pleased. And the main thing is I want each and every one of you sitting here today to be set free from whatever may be holding you back. 
If you're not saved, I want you to be saved today. And from that day forward, if you don't want to talk to me for three weeks, that's fine. When you come around, we'll start talking as if those three weeks didn't exist. The bottom line is, is we want to get to the place that you are now walking with Jesus Christ and you're now walking in victory. You are now what you call an overcomer. And every time that you overcome, there'll be a next thing. God's going to take us to the next spot and we're going to continue to be overcomers. And all the while, we become more powerful in Christ. That way we don't, we, we'll talk to people about Jesus. I know what I was set free from. And he can do it for you. Whoa. Where was I? I was baffled. How could this be? In this, in this, is this really the Holy Spirit I'm hearing? I was a little leery of what I just heard until he broke the silence once again saying, Son, Judas left his job to follow me. Judas preached the gospel. He healed the sick in my name. He got people free in my name. And Judas is in hell. I've been raised Catholic and only been a born-again believer for five years, so what I'm about to describe I was completely unfamiliar with. I trembled. Rather, I quaked inwardly when I heard his words. I was shaken and afraid to speak, and at the same time, I was also completely bewildered. But I knew God was speaking. I was in awe of his presence. I finally mustered up the strength and reverently asked, then what is the thing that I should seek for the most? What is the first in importance? And I heard the answer so clearly, to know me intimately. Now my primary focus prayers every morning went something like this. Lord, I want to know you the best a man can know you. I want to please you the best a man can please you. Show me your heart. Reveal to me what is important to you and show me what is not so important to you. And teach me your ways and may my life bring joy to you. I would still go out early in the mornings, but my passionate pleas under... We're now along this line. And I didn't realize what was happening, but God later would show me. So the answer to my question of why didn't I get free when this man of God prayed for me? It was starting to come into focus. God then spoke to me and said, when you opened up to the evangelist, you were afraid the sin of lust would keep you from the ministry you were called to. You were fearful it would disqualify you. The focus of your sorrow was you. It was a worldly sorrow. And he continued, nine months later, because you've been crying out to know me intimately, your heart was broken because you were hurting my heart by your sin. You knew I had died to free you from sin, and you hated participating in anything that was along those lines of what sent me to the cross. But the focus of your sorrow started to become on me, and that was a godly sorrow. That's a man's testimony who is in ministry. And I read an excerpt from his book. That answers a lot of questions because I've had a lot of conversations with people asking me why. Why? Why can't I overcome this? Do you not know how much it breaks my heart when somebody comes and they say, Preacher, you know, they've actually gotten to the point that they trust me enough to talk about the most intimate part of their life and say, Preacher, I, I need help. And me to say, you know what, we just got to pray more. Yeah, we got to pray more. But this brings it into focus. We got to put our love in Jesus. We got to put our love in Jesus. You see, there's a couple of different kinds of sorrows that we face in our lives. We're going to read them in 2 Corinthians 7 and 9. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry. Not that you, uh, let me read over and start over. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us, from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Remember back when we started this, we was talking about King Saul and his little battle with the Amalekites and how sin came in and Samuel came back and he said, hey, you sinned. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I hope you remember. And when he told Saul that, he said, you've sinned. Saul said, no. Samuel stayed on him. He said, 
hey, buddy, you've sinned. What did Saul do? He did what most people do. He blamed the people. It was their fault. You ever notice that? We're living in a world today that everything's somebody else's fault. Ain't nobody stands up for what's right or you know, raise their hand and say, yeah, I did it. I'm sorry. No, it's always somebody else's fault. Knowing good and well in their hearts whose fault it is. That's what, that's what Saul did. But Samuel stayed on him. He said, oh, nobody, you've sinned. And he says, yeah, I've sinned. Let's look at what he says in, in 1 Samuel 13, uh, 15 and 30. Then he said, I have sinned. Well, he got that part right. Yet honor me now. I've sinned, comma, but now honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. You see what he's saying there? You caught me. You caught me. Yeah, I sinned, I'll admit that, but now honor him. You see, what happened was Samuel approached him in front of the people, the leadership, the people that was there, and he was more concerned about receiving his honor back to those people than the fact that he sinned. He just admitted it because he was told. You ever known somebody that you can ask them that question, or are you sorry you got caught, or are you sorry that you did it? There is a difference. There is a huge difference. King David, on the other hand, you remember King David? Now, what did he do? He didn't go out to battle with his men, so he comes back and he can't sleep one night. He walks out on the porch and his porch is higher than everybody else and you see Bathsheba taking a bath. What's the first thing he should have done? Gone right back in the house and started praying, Lord, get that image out of my head because he had a problem. Maybe he should have called some of the elders of the church. Maybe he was afraid to call the elders of the church because they'd condemn him rather than help him. Oh, it's getting good, folks. This is how we get set free. This is hard stuff. The devil don't want it out. He don't want us to get it. But he didn't. He gets her up right of where he is. He has relations with her. She gets pregnant. Her husband's out doing the king's work, fighting in the battle. What does he do? He murders him. You say, well, I don't know if he murdered him or not, but it's just the same. What did he do? He had him to come home. Go, go lay with your wife. No, I can't do that. My men's out there in the field. I can't do that. No, he's like, man, at least I could have wrote that pregnancy off on him. But he didn't go to his wife. So what did he do? He sets up an elaborate plan to put him out into battle so that he'd be all alone that he would be killed. My, he might as well took a gun and shot him. He set up his death. He murdered a man to cover up his sin. Way, I mean, what we would call something way worse than what Saul did. He's taking lives here. He's covering it up. But then Nathan comes to him and he says, hey, you sinned. I know what happened. Let's look in 2 Samuel 2 and 13. Now David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. You see the difference there? Saul said, I've sinned, but go ahead, I need my honor back. David said, oh, I've sinned against the Lord. I know what I've done. I've sinned against the Lord. If I, ben, if I come down there and just smack you upside the head, I'd be sinning against you, but I'd be sinning against the Lord too. I can't just go to him and ask forgiveness for it. Now I've got to come to you because you're a party to it. Am I right on that? Anybody want to dispute that? I've got to go to you because I hit you. And I've got to talk to God about it too. I can't just have your forgiveness and not get his. And I can't just go to him and not talk to you. And you see, David knew that he had sinned against the Lord, so it set him on a good path. You see, Saul was focused on himself and David was focused on the Lord. That is how we get set free. We focus on the Lord. He's there 24-7, knows every thought. He is there. And when we sin, it's against him. That's how we can get that inside of our spirits and learn. In Psalm 54 and, uh, 51 and 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You see, sorrow of the world focuses on us. It asks the questions, what are the consequences? 
We won't go and ask somebody to pray for us. We won't go to the leadership of the church. And sadly, pastors have been put in a place that they feel like they got nobody to talk to. Am I right, Brother Murphy? If you don't agree with me, let me know. Let's, let's hash this out because these people need to know. They're worried about the consequences. They know what God's called them to do. They'll say, will I be judged? Will I be disqualified? Will I suffer for my sin? What will people think of me? Or what will people think of my family? It doesn't matter. What matters is that you get set free. You see, being set free is way different than being made free. I was set free on July the 25th, 2003. And I am continually being made free. As I become saturated with God's word, with his truth. What did he say in the Bible, John 8 and 32? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. Pastor Charlie, where you at? Come and see me, please. Oh, my goodness. I ask you again, why is it we are commanded to be overcomers if there's nothing to overcome? He is talking to the churches. He's not talking to the world. Look at here, guys. Wake up. Wake up. See these? These will bind you. Amadis told me to leave him hooked up. No, she didn't. I'm playing. She said I had let. Oh, by the way, guys, tomorrow's their anniversary. Two years. Glory to God. I hope that was all right. I didn't ask. Okay. Want me to hook you to the leg? No. I don't want you off. I can't do it this way anyway because I didn't turn it around. Oh. <laughs> he brought a screwdriver. See, he's like if people of the world thinking they can get set free. I can do this myself. See? Uh-huh. Now, I'm going to play the part of Jesus. I'm not Jesus, and I'm not claiming to be. A, I don't want you to take that the wrong way, but for this scenario, I'm going to play the part of Jesus. Charlie's going to play the part of Charlie. Hi, Charlie. I'm Jesus. Good to see you in the flesh. This is Charlie before Charlie got saved. And Jesus is saying, hey, son, follow me. Come on. Come on. Get up and follow me. Follow me. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's stop here and let's just enjoy the beauty. Can we do that? You just want to enjoy the beauty? Go ahead and have a seat. Oh, I put the keyhole on the wrong side. I don't know if I can get you out of that. I'm kidding. This is Charlie. Bound by sin. And I'm Jesus. I've been wanting him to follow me. He's been doing the best he can, but it was a tough battle to follow me, wasn't it? This is Charlie. What day did you get saved? Do you remember your date? June 24, 2006. Go ahead and say what you said to Jesus then, right here. You can forgive them. What could you do for me? Did y'all hear that? Lord, if you can forgive them, what can you do for me? And it was at that very moment, Charlie Scruggs was set free. Stay. Now you gotta you gotta mind Jesus. We didn't rehearse this. I hope y'all can tell, but we're asking the Holy Spirit to help us because I want you to get the picture. Charlie, we're going to walk over there. Now, don't listen. He's not listening to me as Jesus. Now, now he's listening to me as Ken. Bring the chair with you. Do everything I do.
that's Charlie being given to sin. I set him free. He ain't figured out yet. He ain't got to carry it around. Maybe his flesh wants to carry it around. Do you understand? You see, grace ain't just something that is salvation for us and sets us free and it's unmerited that we get it. It's a free gift. It is also empowering. That's what the Bible says. It's empowering. And we got to get in the Word. We got to let the Word come. But now, Charlie, follow me and don't drag your sin with you. everything I do I love you oh you gotta follow me follow me I love you I love you both of you oh I love you too daddy you're gonna be a good one oh this is my special friend I love you so much my best friend in the world right there ah wasn't that fun? Wasn't it good to walk without dragging that with you? Oh, yeah. I set you free in 2006, but today you figured out you don't have to carry that with you no more. Thank you, Charlie. Did you get the picture, brothers and sisters? You see, some things when you got saved... You could go home and just, it's gone. And some things, it just nags at you. Because the flesh is just trying to hold on to it. Don't beat yourselves up. Come to one another and pray with one another. And don't just be set free, but be made free. How do you get made free? You saturate yourself with the word of God. And understand and know this. When you're sinning, it ain't about, uh oh, I got caught. Our heart needs to break because we're breaking the heart of Jesus. He's already paid for it, and he's already set us free, and he promised us he'd never leave us nor forsake us. And it might be pornography, it might be drugs, I don't know what it may be. You may not be able to be one of these people who can stay off the phone talking about people. I told you last week, you might as well go stick a needle in your arm and find a person of the same sex and marry them because it's all the same boat. If you gossip about people, it's not going to be in Bedford's paper that some people like to watch and see who's getting in trouble. Am I right? If you're finding out who's getting in trouble, I'm going to ask you, are you praying for them or are you talking about them? Did you see in the paper such and such? Why are you telling me this? Well, they're supposed to be this. They're supposed to be that. No, you're not God. You don't get to judge. But you found out about that so you can pray for them because they need to be made free. You got a song on your heart, brother? And if you need to pray, you pray. Don't sing. We got music up here. That's why we got it set up the way it is. I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite you this morning. You're facing something in your life. Don't let pride, don't let the devil keep you sitting in your seat. Come and talk to Jesus about it. You never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. Not just because your family comes to church and you've been made to come to church. That don't make you a Christian. That's how the Catholics do it. You get born, they sprinkle you, you're saved. That's their idea. And I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a denomination basher. I am not going to do that. There's one denomination, and that's the people who follow Jesus Christ. And they call him Lord. There are a lot of different monikers on doors. Don't make them right. What is right is the Bible. Amen? Amen. I might get fired for saying that, but so be it. Because I love Jesus, and when he asked me to follow him, when he asked me to step into ministry, he told me he'd take care of me. And he will. But there's something that might be sitting on your heart today. And the Holy Ghost just put it on your heart. He's been bringing it up to you time and again. And today he said you can be made free.
And it might be a process. Don't get discouraged. Let us pray with you. You've got prayer request forms on the backs of your things. Did we give them out this morning? Let me see your sister, Murphy. Now you notice on this prayer card, it says name optional. How important is you for you to be set free? Uh-oh, somebody will see me putting it in. Now, you just leave it, lay it on your seat, put it in the thing back there. Bring it to me personally if you want. I'm not going to talk about you, and I'm not going to share your business with no one else. That's another one people like. They like getting into other people's business. Pastor, what's going on with such and such? I don't know why you're asking. What is your motive? Usually when I ask that question, they get defensive. You already know what the motive is. Come on, am I right, folks? You just want to talk about him. You just want to find him. You, ain't, you don't care one bit about what their soul is or what they're going through. I'm, I'm talking truth this morning, folks. You can fill this thing out and you can say, you know what, I am dealing with prescription drugs. I can't stop lying. I can't stay off of the porn sites. You know, for the life of me, I can't quit pick, picking that phone up and just talking about everybody. Whatever it may be, whatever the Lord has talked to you about, man, I can't give up, I can't give up that two packs a day. It's destroying your body. And God said, I can set you free. And you don't have to write your name on here. You can just write what you want prayed for. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be at least two or three of us here tonight praying. Because I still believe in the power of prayer. We was having 30 and 40, 50 people on Sunday nights. We're down to 20 some now. Don't grow weary. The most important service tonight, today will be the one tonight because I'm praying that every single one of you, because you ain't dead yet, there are things that God is trying to fix in you and me. Write it down. Please pray for me. I'm dealing with this. And then you're not fighting the battle alone like you thought you were. Now you've got brothers and sisters praying with you. Not only that, we're in the throne room with Jesus who is forever making intercession for us. He never stops praying. You see, if we're made free, then we can minister to those who are dealing with stuff. When we start seeing things the way Jesus does, we have compassion on somebody that's fallen rather than we looking to destroy them. Do you know what I'm talking about, brothers and sisters? We got a community of people around here that need Jesus. And they won't come and talk to us because they've heard the talk already. Oh, they're church people, but boy, don't you tell them your problems because they're going to take it to everybody. Come on, am I talking right? That is the devil doing what he does best. Binding us. And then we're walking around powerless. Come and pray. Come and pray if you can. Pray where you're at. I don't care. Come and pray. <laughs>